Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Welcome to Montana's Peer Network Recovery Talks Podcast. I'm Jim Haney. And I'm Sheila Myers. Thanks for tuning in to another Recovery Talks Podcast. And today, Kayla and I are going to be talking about radical acceptance. Yes, let's dive into this. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I feel like we've maybe done some podcasts around maybe acceptance or gratitude or something, but I think this is a little different. There's a little different twist, the the radical part of it. And it's been a while either way. I think even if we have done one on just acceptance, I think we want to kind of get into the living in the now kind of thing and accepting reality. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah acceptance and radical acceptance, I think are two different, totally different concepts. Um, Yeah. I mean, with the same goal, but yeah. um, Yeah. Radical acceptance, I think is a, it's a, it's something you have to master throughout, throughout your life. Yeah. Yeah. Acceptance, I think is just like a a instant, a situation. It's yeah. A long-term goal is how I see it. Okay. Yeah, I think radical acceptance, when I hear that term, I think I think of a person who is in distress about something, emotional turmoil, and they're not able to accept the circumstances. And this is broad, we're going to hit on some of these but pretty broad. And in that moment, they're making a decision to do something different all at once. In other words, in other words, they're making a decision. This is the path I'm going to go down now. And that path is about, I kind of said this, like living in reality in the moment Anyway, that that's the way I kind of think of yeah. it. I mean, that's the way I would say it showed up in my own life if we're talking about radical acceptance because it's like right in this moment I'm making a conscious decision to do something different, but you you have a definition there I think we were Yeah. we were talking about. So yeah, what we, what's that say? So, um I found it on Psych Central. So It just goes on to say radical acceptance means practicing a conscious effort to acknowledge and honor difficult situations and emotions, fully accepting things as they are, instead of ignoring, avoiding, or wishing the situation were different, can be a critical step in moving through a difficult experience to experiencing more meaning. Yeah, 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 that's a good that's a good definition. I mean, I think there's a bunch of them out there that are similar to that in different ways. And so, yeah, the difficult situations can be broad. I mean, it can be um, a divorce. It can be um, a diagnosis. It, it can be an illness. It can be, you know, it can be a lot of different things. 
your, 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 your childhood, um, your love relationships, you know, whatever. I mean, it can be, it can be anything that, that you're, you're, you're struggling with, you're in distress about. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, I would say, um, you know, we, we dive into this a lot. We talk about all of our, um, lived experiences and when you have childhood trauma and then you keep layering your experiences on top of each other mm-hmm. and you're not either processing, dealing with, um, what happened to you and then adult stuff happens. And then that starts laying, layering on top of that as well. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I also don't want to downplay the fact that it's these big events that can happen in your life for your emotions and um, nervous system to not be in a conscious state. I mean, when you have mm-hmm. layers and layers and layers of trauma, what starts to happen to you is these very minute, which to other people may look like really silly things in a big picture, mm-hmm. but to the person feeling it, that isn't practicing a conscious mind because they're so far living in the past or so scared for the future that they're not, you know, it, it feels that big to them because Mm -hmm. they haven't been practicing a conscious mind and being in a moment or accepting what had happened in the past and acknowledging it and Mm -hmm. working actively on, you know, healing and um, that wellness in their life, whatever that looks like for them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I also just kind of wanted to add that because I know for me, yes, I had big experiences happen to me, but then that's when it, I looked in the mirror and said, I need to do something about this because now like these simple little things that shouldn't be this big for me are like feel really big and they take over. And so I think that that's also the importance of healing from the past, accepting it Mm -hmm. and moving forward in a conscious conscious place of the present Mm -hmm. because then it could turn into the little little events or you know or traumatic Mm -hmm. almost Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I know in your your webinar you talked about um myth myths about it and um you know that idea that it's not it's not about um I'm, I'm not supporting it. Like, like you're talking about trauma, for example. So my brain, my brain is going towards like, you know, so let's say childhood sexual abuse. It's not about, it's not about accepting that, that that was okay. Right. Um, It's not about saying that that was okay. It's, it's about, I'm okay because here I am today that happened in my past and I don't have to let that continue to impact me as I move forward now in my life because it in other words you're kind of saying it has been impacting me and so in this moment I'm going to kind of accept that and I I think of the person who um goes to therapy you know and they've been going to therapy for you know a year or whatever and they're still talking about the same thing right? They're still talking about this event, this, you know, again, I'm just picking one out of of thin air here. Um, You know, childhood abuse and blaming the abuser and blaming their parents and blaming this and blaming. 
and they're still going on and on. And here we are like, and, and I think as a peer supporter, you know, I've, I've, um, you know, in trying to support people, I think I've seen that happen where people get kind of stuck. I think the justice system is another one where a lot of people get kind of stuck. They do something, they commit a crime, they get incarcerated. And years later, they're still mad at the police officer, or they're still mad at the judge, and they're still just carrying on about it. Those are the things, those are the examples that sort of pop into my head yeah. with the radical acceptance thing. I think Yeah, it's like the needing needing something or someone to blame. Yeah, yeah. And and, and right, and sometimes it's about you do need to go to counseling and talk about it. And maybe it maybe it does take 10 sessions or 20 sessions. I don't know. But if you're still talking about it next year after 50, <laughs> 50 yeah. sessions, like, hey, it's time to it's time to do some radical acceptance of this because you're not changing the situation, just like you know, getting divorced. I mean, I'm somebody who's gotten divorced and it's like, okay, it's done. Like you're you, you know, the relationship is done, you've signed the papers, you're living in different places, your life has moved on you have to reach this point. I think if you're healthy or you want to be healthy where you're like, okay, I need to move on in my life and I'm not yeah. going to stay right. Like, and keep like, Oh, but this, or she said that, or I should have said this and like getting, getting stuck in that, in the rut, in the rut of, of that event. Yeah. It's funny when you said the thing about counseling is because I didn't know what how to radic because I didn't understand what had happened to me. I, I did. I, I remember big events, you know. And for me personally, that's where EMDR came in and was a really helpful tool on just like unblocking a lot of the like, you know, barriers in my brain that had been created due to things that I did not ask for. They were not my fault, but then they were showing up in my adult life. And mm -hmm. then that's what the example that I'm showing my kids. Um, mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. what people see from me, expect from me. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it's just not, it wasn't okay for me anymore. I wanted mm -hmm. to be better. I wanted to understand, um, but also to be able to move on. And, and I used to do that. I used to go to counseling and just be like, you know, I would just talk and talk and talk about I mean, maybe not the same exact thing, but basically it would be the same kind of concept every single week for mm -hmm. someone how you know, like someone, something, job, work, kids, spouse, whoever passed, you know, how could they, why? Because I wasn't radically accepting what had happened to me. Mm -hmm. And so when you are in a state of, you know, it's not something I'm, perfect at and I will continue to keep practicing because I think it is right. something that's a really thing hard hard thing to master um yeah but it is a lot easier it's I you know I just will say it is such a good thing for you because it's easy now it's like I can see when it's happening with other people and I know when my limit is to then say like okay I, for me personally we've talked about this five times and you know I need to separate myself from now yours you know and I can just see it kind of 
happening. Mm -hmm. So um, I can remove myself easier from then taking it on, storing it in me. It, it, it is a being in a more conscious and present state, you know, truly leads to happiness because you're, I'm enjoying hanging out with my kids or my friends or mm -hmm. um, being by myself actually mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. first time in my life. It's not scary to sit with my own um, mm -hmm. mind and not needing to distract it mm -hmm. from the things I don't want to think about. But mm -hmm. um, it really, it really is a peaceful state when you can say, you know, look at it from the outside and say, um, yeah, the, the radical acceptance concept is, you know, also to me is um, my expectation of this, this situation, let's say, well, my son's, my son's autism diagnosis. So my expectation mm -hmm. when I had kids mm -hmm. was that I would have kids. Don't, I don't, you know, not that I cared if they were boys, girls, nothing like that, but you, the expectation when you have kids is that they will come out and into this world healthy, um, thriving, hitting milestones, growing, you know, and then moving on to their life and whatever that looks like for them. Well, with Bryce, that wasn't, you know, that was the expectation, but with Bryce, that drastically changed when he went through his regression. Now mm -hmm. Bryce's life looks very different. And I also wasn't perfect at it because I, I had a lot of people, a couple of people around me that helped me see it from a different point of view. So through that, I was, it was easier for me to radically accept that Bryce's world was going to look different. And my expectation mm -hmm. as his mom mm -hmm. is going to be different. And by me, mm -hmm. by me, um, you know, putting like my hands out and like pushing it away and saying like, no, 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 this wasn't supposed to happen. I'm causing myself and Bryce then in return mm -hmm. more harm by then just saying, this is where we are. I'm not saying that it's, I'm, that it's okay or that um, I wouldn't have wanted it another way for him or for myself, which I think takes a lot in acknowledging that as well, but also accepting the fact like if I'm not present in this moment, I could be missing all these really beautiful things about being a mom to a child mm -hmm. with autism. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I have been able to enjoy the present and moments and um, really see Bryce like flourish in his, you know, with who he was intended to be, not what my expectation and society's expectation of mm -hmm. who Bryce should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was that like? <clears throat> just as you were talking, I was just yeah so thinking about it. what was that like that that day when you got the diagnosis well with with him it was different because he he was typical he when he was born he hit you know every doctor's when you go to he hit all of his milestones um it wasn't until after so the normal regression period is like 18 to 24 months is what they say um bryce turned two in june and started regressing in like october november um, I mean, he had tubes in his ears and his speech was a little delayed, you know, and I had been addressing all of that stuff, but um, then when he regressed, he just regressed like really hard and really fast and he lost all of his words. He was, they call it a rabbit hole when, um, when someone with autism or as how it was described to me is they go in their rabbit hole of like, I don't 
you know, nobody around me is of a, a value to me. Like, I'm just going to sit here and play with, you know, it's just truly them. And I think that's where the stigma comes around is like that they don't care about other people or they don't mm-hmm. um, have empathy. They do. You just have to kind of like bring them out and show them that, hey, I'm going to meet you where you're at. And um, so it was, you know, that was very hard. And then the wait list to get into the doctor here was a good 10, 11 months. So I, yes, was like, yeah, I think he has autism, but still in the back of my mind, you're like, well, what if it's this? Or what if it's that? Or, you know, as a parent, I think that that's just a normal, um, a normal thing, but it was really, it was really, really scary and hard. And, um, you know, it's, it's very lonely and everyone's looking at you for answers. And you're like, I don't even like, they're your kid and you should have all the answers, but you don't, you, you don't. And it's like with him, I almost wonder if it would have been better having him always that way. Like, cause you know, sometimes autism shows up very young and then it just, um that's just kind of who they are but mm. with Bryce like I I got to hang out with a totally different kid for two years mm-hmm. than the kid that I have now mm-hmm. and and radically accepting that was really hard it was it's almost like um grieving it's almost like grieving another a human being and sure. then um not it sounds kind of dark but you know grieving who he was before his regression is right, that he's right. a totally different human right. being. Yeah. Right. Well, you, you suffered a loss for sure. So that's understandable. Yeah. 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 And then when the doctor gave you the diagnosis, that did that sort of like confirm what you suspected? Yeah. But I had already acknowledged, like I had already um, gotten to the place of like, I think that this that's I know this is what she's going to say I would be shocked at this point if that's not what she Mm. tells me Mm -hmm. but everybody around us family friends um were like well you know you know I don't think he does and so I had within my own well-being for my own well-being and conscience conscious state um to to just be there for Bryce and be present for him Mm -hmm. um I had to do that for myself and not let all these other people's ideas and hopes, I guess I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll say hopes Mm -hmm. probably for me and for, you know, for the family dynamic. But, um, yeah, by the time she told me it was more just like a a validation, Mm -hmm. um, at that stage, but I mean, it is still a lot, you know, it is still a, when you then see the words on a piece of paper, it is, you know, it makes it very real. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. something that's going away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you have to do to get to that point? What did you have to do emotionally, mentally, spiritually? Yeah, it was. I mean, I feel like a lot of it is, in a sense, like who who I am is. I've never been somebody that has looked at others and said, "Hmm, why." Does so and so, you know, dress like that in like art? And why does this person, why are they like dressed really nice and like to go golfing? You know, like the stigmas or the um, personality types, that was never an issue for me. I just liked people for their hearts and for mm-hmm. who they were. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, I feel like it was coming back to that 
root of me and who mm-hmm. I was and mm-hmm. who I would want the world. It's like coming to the example of like, okay, I can't, I can't expect the world to treat Bryce with kindness, with um, understanding, you know, all those things that I think every mm-hmm. parent with a child with special health care needs like wants. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't do that for him if I, if I'm not doing for him. And so it's, it's really coming to a place of, you know, I have to, I have to, well, and then I, I think also seeing him when I started doing that or when the therapist, she does play the play project and watching her interact with Bryce. If, you know, he just like looked at her because he was like, nobody could touch his toys. And he was just like, get away from me. And um, the way she just came into his world and didn't come into it with her expectation, she just was following Bryce's lead and just kind of like, hey, dude, I'm just here to hang out. And those are really cool dinosaurs. Whoa, like, what colors are those? And he's looking at her. And, you know, this is the first time I've seen him actually connect with anybody but me in a really long time. And he just all of a sudden just stopped and like gave her the biggest hug, kissed her on her cheek, and then went back and like grabbed her finger and had her start counting the dinosaurs again and in that moment I was like oh my god like she just she treated Bryce like a human being like the human human being that he was and not that I wasn't um but I I was scared I was I was Mm -hmm. lost I was also figuring out figuring out a new way to be a mom I had been a mom Mm -hmm. but now I'm figuring out this new way and so Really just like, I think really that moment was like, wow, it was very impactful for me. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I think it's a, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's easier said than done. I'm not here to sit on like my high horse of all the, you know, I know all the things I I don't, and I'm still gonna, that's why I love family peer support. Cause when I'm talking to other families, it really is for me is well, it's very healing and validating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I, but I, it is, it is a good thing to practice in your life because things are going to get thrown at us all the time, you know, no matter what yeah. the situation yeah. is. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole, you know, there's a, <clears throat> you know, you look at religion or spirituality. I mean, it, the role of acceptance is is there. It plays a part in in across the globe with all kinds of cultures and living in, living in the now. If you think about you know Zen, you know it's about being here in the moment and accepting things. Uh, in Buddhism, the whole idea of suffering comes from attachment. Attachment is your expectations of the world. You get attached to blank, fill in the blank, put anything you want. My beliefs about how my son's life is going to be, or, you know, how I'm going to be as a mom, or, you know, I can remember being diagnosed, uh, you know, I was in my early 20s. And I mean, I knew something was wrong with me. And I had these uh, ideas about my life when you're, you know, young person growing up and, you know, you're kind of naive to all of that. You don't ever think about health, health related things like, oh, these things could happen. Like 
I could yeah. get cancer or I could be in an accident or never thought, hey, I'll have a mental mental illness, you know, like you don't think about those kinds of things. And then you get this diagnosis. And for me, there was like a, a split that sort of happened. Part of me was relieved because it gave an answer, which is kind of what I heard from you with, with your son. It gave you like the validation of this is what I'm seeing. This is what I think is going on. And then there's like this validation of it, right? But then there's this other part, which is like, with that in that same in that same time period you know the like my therapist and psychiatrist were like well you should you probably need to think about going on disability and and that idea was like wait what i'm disabled like i'm you know and and then and then having the conversations just particularly in therapy you know, like talking that through, like, is that how you view me? Like, I'm yeah. disabled? Like, this is that serious? Like, well, you're going to be on medication the rest of your life. And there's things you're probably not going to be able to do. And you're probably going to have to, um, you know, do do things that aren't stressful to you and, you know, to minimize your stress. So, you know, like, I mean, there was all this stuff and none of that stuff had anything to do with my dreams or my vision of what I wanted my life to be like. And so there had to be some level of acceptance. Now for me, that was more, again, there was a part of me that was like, oh, this is very validating. This gives an explanation as to what's going on. So that was going on. So. I, I didn't really have a, a moment of like radical acceptance with my diagnosis, but for me, there was this element of um, drinking alcohol and how that was tied into my mental and emotional health. So um, I made this recognition that the alcohol seemed to make it worse. <laughs> but there was this part of me that was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a young person. I'm 21 years old. I'm not going to ever drink alcohol the rest of my life. Yeah. And that was really challenging. Like, okay, I could do this for a few months, because alcohol, as for it is for, I think, a lot of young people, it, there's a social connection there. Yeah. That's how you connect to people socially. So for me, when my counselor's saying, well, you probably need to, you know, live a life of sobriety, it was like, you're basically saying to me, I shouldn't have friends. Yeah. Because that was how I connected socially, right? You go hang out with your friends and whatever, you go to parties and, you know, and so that part was like, was like, whoa, mm -hmm. you know, like that was really, that was much harder than having a psychiatrist, you know, put me on medication and going to a mental health center. That was, that was a lot more difficult to get to that place. And it, and it took, you know, I would say within a, a period of time of a few months 
And when, and that doesn't sound like long, but I was doing therapy multiple times a week, psychiatrist, mental health center. And I was going, I, I, so then I checked myself into the big step was I checked myself into a, a, a substance use treatment place, outpatient, not inpatient, outpatient to examine that, <laughs> to examine yeah. whether or not I have a real problem because it was like, what do you mean? You know, like that was much, much harder. And the acceptance of that um, really, I had to really get honest with myself and reach a point of saying, if I drink alcohol, it increases the likelihood my mental health, emotional health will decline. And for me, that meant self-harm. So that all had to like take a, you know, and that was for my therapist, that was immediate because I had been hospitalized already for a couple of suicide attempts. So that was very immediate, very, and I, I, I don't want to say quite crisis, but it really was, it was to that point, like we got to eliminate some of these things. And I was resistant to that. I think I first went, um, I made it just a, just over a month and then drank again. And, you know, and, and life just kept falling apart is what kept happening, you know? So then I had to say, okay, what does that look like if I committed to yeah. not drinking alcohol for the rest of my life? And that was, that was hard. And so for me, it had, it was a lot of looking in the mirror it was a lot of <clears throat> a lot of that self-examination. It was a lot of therapy, um, and and then saying, "Oh, okay," you know, and okay, I'm gonna. So, as I'm talking to you now, I'm. It's 29 years later. You know, yeah. it's 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 29 years later. But if you would have said to me back then, you know, 29, if you think you could make it 29 years, I mean, I would have been like, there's no way, like, you know, like that wasn't something because I connected it in different ways. You know, it was connected to my social world. And as a young person, I think that's common. Yeah, no, that's it. Um, a really, I think, powerful thing to to say, because I was thinking back when I was in college and where very much where I could have went one of two ways. I feel like if I wouldn't have gotten pregnant with Easton, I have no idea what would have, you know, uh, probably, probably, I mean, alcohol didn't look like self-harm to me, but I was impulsive. I was, you know, chasing that more of the undiagnosed ADHD, you know, the dopamine and the, this is fun. And I'm, yeah. And um, I, it, it, it is when you're young like that, it is a connection to other human beings. I think when mm -hmm. you're, when you're um, all, like new and on your own from your parents' house and you're like, just, mm -hmm. you know, in a sense, you're kind of like a, you're kind of like a little kid again, where you're like, how am I mm -hmm. supposed to do this? And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think alcohol, I think in a lot of society standpoints, that is what alcohol is, is there's places where you can go hang out with other yeah, people bars, bars and that's, the, yeah. that's a bar and so yeah, I think it is a yeah. very easy thing to get wrapped up in um yeah yeah so yeah and I think some I think 
I think Montana has an alcohol culture. I, I think if you go to community events, you find large quantities of alcohol. And then I think even, you know, as a, you know, running Montana's peer network, having been all over the state, different communities, and there are some communities that are more health-minded, more wellness-minded, and you, and it's more evened out. And there's definitely more communities that are more based around alcohol that are just, and that's, that's, it's like a, it's a social lubricant, you know, it's like how yeah. people can interact socially and geez, if I don't, if I'm not half intoxicated, I can't, you know, interact socially. And yeah, and I, so I think that's a big part of it. And so finding a, a, a community for yourself, whether it's um, autism, other parents with children with autism, or whether it's, you know, a 12 step meeting. I mean, I think that's important. And, and I think it, um, helps with the acceptance when you get around other, your peers, other people yeah. who are like you. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm also like when you were talking about your story for also with how young you were and accepting your fate or your reality, if alcohol was a part of your life, what that would look like. Um, I think that that is really powerful in your acceptance and, um, of of that at such a young age because I mean that could have just kept going years and years and years if I, 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 I'll tell you I, I probably I, I would I would have probably not made it past 25. I, I would have killed myself I, if I'm you pretty, kept drinking yeah 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 because it just um, yeah I mean I had two suicide attempts and both were connected to alcohol and the alcohol, alcohol is a depressant. Mm -hmm. So it brings that on, it, it makes it, I mean, ever, you know, if you, if you have ever drank alcohol, right? Most people have, I would say a lot of people have, you know, there's this point of like, you can get a buzz and you feel good, but that isn't what it was for me, it was, it was this prolonged state of intoxication where that depressant really takes a hold of you, you know, physiologically and begins depressing everything, you know? Um, yeah. And I wouldn't have made it long because I was, um, yeah, I mean, I was in and out of crisis stabilization centers and behavioral health units and psych hospital and, you know, like, it was, it was a train, train to the end, you know, it was really, um, I, I think that's probably what would have, would have happened. I, I wouldn't have made it very long, you know, it was just, um, but, you know, the acceptance and the right people and mm -hmm. getting around peers and all of that stuff. And, and then just the, the looking at your, your own situation, like, you know, what are the factors that are playing a role here? Yeah. And for me, it was about taking responsibility and, and um, making those changes. And not that it was easy. It wasn't easy. It was hard. And you have to give up that social aspect. You know, yeah. you're, you're not yeah. going and hanging out with your friends at the bar, you know, when you're trying to 
you're trying to change your life that way. So you have to, you know, there's an acceptance that kind of happens there and you have to let go of some of that and those relationships and <clears throat> yeah, but yeah. So yeah, it's a Powerful. good, it's a good, um, this is a really good topic. And yeah. um, I feel like it applies to so many different yeah. avenues where it could really, um, you know, even if you, even if having a loss at 18 that, you know, of a parent mm-hmm. and that being very big for you, I mean, and not having um, anything else happen before that. I mean, all these, all these different scenarios where radical acceptance can, you know, comes into is mm-hmm. um, I think the lives that we're all living every, every single day. And um, yeah. I, I know it's also just making my mind kind of, um, mm-hmm. think about all the different, different ways that it could potentially make society as a whole, a better, you know, a better, more accepting, understanding place. I mean, that would obviously be everyone's hopes, hopes and dreams, but. Well, you are um, doing that. I mean, that, that's part of being a peer supporter. And that, that is what you're doing. You're being a role model towards other people, for other people, and showing them, you know, by, by doing, by doing it, by living it, by breathing it every single day. And, and that is, that does change the world. You know, yeah. that does make it a better place. Yeah. So, all right. Well, well, thanks for the great conversation. This was a great topic. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Recovery Talks from Montana's Peer Network. Check us out on uh, SoundCloud, uh, or you may be on our website. You can click right there. We have links all set up for you. So every week, Recovery Talks podcast. Kayla, thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Jim. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. (laughs) Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.